But you know, the toughest thing is to love somebody who has done something mean to you. Especially when that somebody has been yourself. Have you ever done anything mean to yourself? Well, it's very important to look inside yourself and find that loving part of you. What a lovely, lovely frame. I mean, I totally, I, there's not a thing I can say about that other than that is just fantastic. I'm really glad that a few generations had access to Mr. Rogers. You know, I think that kind of message. Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And I'm Dr. Sessa Nagash at San Diego State University. Today, Sessa will bring us a conversation about Firefly Lane and long-term friendships. Then in our academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article, Romantic Partner Embraces Reduce Cortisol Release After Acute Stress Induction in Women, But Not in Men. And then in Good or Bad Advice, we'll be having a rapid fire Good or Bad Advice and be talking about some posts from social media about mental health, marriages, and uh, ways to be kind to yourself. Uh, if you have any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us, please. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, all at Attached Podcast, or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. As always, for some bonus content and to kindly support our podcast, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash attached and become a patron. Also, wherever you listen to our podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all of those lovely places, please consider to rate and review and subscribe, of course, to the podcast. So all that lovely housekeeping out of the way. Happy New Year. We're in a new year. We are back um ladies i'm so curious what are you thinking for the year any goals any hopes any aspirations loki i hope you have hopes and goals for life for, the next, dreams. <laughs> for the next year but what are you guys thinking uh your goals for the year anything you're looking forward to what you got woods hmm. well i feel like this time of year i always start thinking about what i want to put in the garden <gasps> yeah of for course spring. right and I always feel like, oh, it's time to start planning and like thinking ahead and then sure. maybe I'll be more successful. Um, I will say <laughs> I just planted the tulips I was supposed to plant in October. <laughs> and so it's not looking like a strong start. Hmm. But when you phrase it as hopes and dreams, yeah, I feel like it continues to be a goal. The start of every year, a fresh approach to maybe I can... Earn a green thumb. Earn a green year. thumb. I think that's how it works. Yes. Like you level up into green thumbdom. I hope so, because I'm not genetically blessed with that specific trait. So I have to earn it somehow. That's fantastic. Well, we, I'm sure, will continue to track your uh, green thumb uh, development uh, throughout this podcast. I look forward to hopefully your planting experiences and subsequent growing experiences. Yes. The planting always goes well. It's the growing. It's not, it's not my strength. Productivity of those plants. That's right. That's so funny. 
Sasson, what about you? What is this year going to bring for you? What are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to, gosh, so much, but I'm not someone who typically like plans for the next year in the sense that I used to set resolutions. I used to like do the thing where I'm like, I'm going to have like a top three list of things I'm going to accomplish in the year. Sure. And then I would get really frustrated with myself for not, of course, accomplishing those. So each year I just go in with the like hope that I do one thing and that is exercise and be healthier and every, yeah it has yet to happen in all these what is your preferred exercise uh, modality so none um that is like what i've determined there is no i have tried boxing and enjoyed that but i also feel super out of my league when i'm in those classes because people quickly got like really enjoy it and then start to get better quickly and um for me, it's like I'm really competitive. So if I'm not competing at their level or performing, I start to get in my head about it, right? So yeah. it takes the joy out of just doing something for the sake of enjoying it. So part of it is like a mental thing for me. I tried CrossFit. I've tried all these things I should have never tried in my life given, <laughs> you know, I did not titrate up. I went into like the really more you know, work your way towards something like those. And I would injure myself. So oh gosh, yeah. when I convinced myself I wasn't an exercise person, people are like, no, it's just that you don't think cool about bananas. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do that extreme thing that cool you do all in, out. in other areas of your life. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I knew I brought that over. I'm going to um, be an Olympian this year. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> With zero training, zero endurance, like nothing. Like I set my mind to it in so many areas of my life. I'm like, I'm going to achieve this without yeah any preparation before. Um, and so quickly I get humbled, you know, in many ways, but especially with exercise, it comes through a lot of injury, right? So I've like had spasms in the middle of the night. I've, you know, vomited. I wouldn't want to exercise. Vomited? Oh my God. I just do these things because I'm like, I'm not going to be the one who doesn't finish or doesn't make, oh, yeah. you know, this, do it in this timely this way. maps like, on to everything I know about you. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's super consistent with my personality. And uh, I, so for that reason, like uh, me and exercise have this weird relationship. And I know the only exercise I ever enjoyed besides boxing was like Jane Fonda aerobics kind of stuff. Yeah. Where, like, you know, you're on that little step thing, you do your thing, yeah. you do your clap, and then you come to, it's fun. like not excessive. It's not, you don't sweat too much. You just, yeah. it, it feels fun. You're not like sitting there having somebody say to you like, go harder, go strong, you know, yeah. there's music to it. Everybody seems like they're having a good time. That's what I need. And I yes. got to find that again. I don't know where to find it, but I'm mid- Maybe like the uneven bars. That could be your, no. your best. <laughs> Like and there's Zumba all this research about the benefits of exercise. Of course, there are. There have been for years, of course. But more like cancer research and stuff that's like, yeah. this kind of exercise is really. And I'm like, well, I could maybe do that. I've just got to find like the right time, place, and all of those factors. Because in my mind, you shouldn't have to drive more than five minutes to go exercise either. Five to ten minutes. Oh. Right? Because it feels like a lot of time parameters around yeah, there's a lot exercise for you that's why i don't exercise ever i have way too many conditions just yeah. walk around your neighborhood 
that's incredibly boring to me too. Yeah. Oh. Who is she competing with? There's nobody to compete <laughs> nobody with. to compete with, right? You know my competitive spirit, you two. Like I need just pick a random neighbor and just always walk past her oh. <laughs> or him. I'm not gonna <laughs> compete with my dog who can yes, lead exactly. what. Yeah. So, so I, we'll see. We'll check in again in the new year and see where okay. I am. Hopefully you won't have uh, injured your body. No, I will not do any exercise between now and then. Okay, sounds good. Pretty much can ensure that. Great, I'm just going to be thinking goal. about getting there. Okay, then- okay. We'll just update the thought process, the mental preparation. I love it. Um, so the other day I was at a gathering. Someone invited us to a gathering. Uh, you know, it was kids and adults alike. Um, and a lot of my like I have a group of friends who have young kids, and they just always like they go hiking with their kids, and they have young kids. They go hiking with their kids. They go camping with their kids. They do all of these things. And I I like camping and hiking. I'm not opposed to it. I can never find the time of like, okay, here is a weekend. We can just like not do anything except for like go camping or hiking. We just have never been able to find that weekend, unfortunately. But this year I told my friends I maybe was two glasses of Prosecco in. I want to take the family and go camping with you guys one time this spring, this year. They said, oh, heck yes, we'll do that. So I have social support that'll hold me to it. Social support. (laughs) My friends, because they know where they're like, oh yeah, there's some places, because they know all the places, because that's also a barrier to doing something, not knowing exactly what the good places are. They're like, we know this great place, it'll be really good for like easing into camping. Fantastic. So we're going to take her, her husband, and their kid, our other friend and her kid, and then me, my husband, and our trio. We're going to go camping sometime this spring. We verbally committed to doing it. So that is my goal, is to go camping once this year. Once. Feels really reasonable. You think so? Okay, good. Yeah. Oh my God. Hopefully it happens. I feel like I've also said that for like three years in a row. Um, so, oh, so we have a pattern of behavior. Established. Yes, yes, yes. You but I've never you like that. You waited until the end to share that. I've never <laughs> um, committed out loud to someone other than my husband about it though. I see. So I feel so like this different. I think it is a little bit different this year, you guys. Yeah. Accountability. Different. Yeah. And as long as you have like people who are more seasoned at it, I think it always makes for a better experience. Like you you can't have the blind leading the blind when it comes to camping. No. And these people in terms of (laughs) camping have 2020 vision, if you know what I'm saying. There's no blind people over here in terms of camping knowledge. It's a metaphor. We're sticking with the same metaphor. So you can, uh, Sasson can come along and then have like a two-story tent immediately and (laughs) just break a wrist falling out of it and- I feel like all of these goals really show some piece of our personality that we don't need to go any further into, but very interesting. (laughs) Oh, mercy. I love you, gals. (laughs) First up, pop and culture. We learn about relationship from our friends and families, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Sesson, I don't know if I've heard of this new show. Talk me through it. I'm excited uh, for what you had to bring. What's up? 
Yeah, I'm always surprised when you say you haven't heard of something because you're usually very knowledgeable about what's oh my gosh. out, even if you haven't watched it, right? Um, I feel like that was a verbal hug, and a verbal compliment hug, and I appreciate it, and I will endeavor to um, be better. No, no, no it's, it's good to have a little mystery in your life. I've been watching for two seasons now. It's on its second season or just released uh, um, by Netflix, um, season two of the show called Firefly Lane. Um, and I think the first season was released last year. So it's a fairly new show um, starring Katherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk. Um, and both of them are pretty well-known actresses um, who've done some comedic work. I think more so Sarah Chalk has. She's been in a lot of different series. But uh, these two um, are best friends in these series. It follows both of them through like this life long um, friendship starting in their teens and going through um, this period of their lives um, where they're forming families um, coming together in, in relationships in adulthood um, both come from very different um, backgrounds you know social locations their ambitions are quite different as adults um, but yet you know they've been in this 30-year friendship um, and sort of weathering the storm of friendship. You know, there's jealousy, anger, hurt, resentment. Um, and the show, I think for me, like in some ways is very traditional in, in terms of the way it's laid out. But I think the one thing that stands out to me um, is this like enduring friendship that they have that sort of has weathered a lot of different events in their lives. Um, and I think about relationships friendships in my life and also like the research on not just friendships because there's quite a bit on social support and friendships but really thinking about like long life or long-term friendships um and i guess i just have some um thoughts about that in general you know studies consistently show that friendships are really important like as important in many ways as family ties um and can predict psychological you know physical well-being um and because it's such an important relationship in your life, friendships, um, I think understanding like some of the specific dynamics around friendships is really important to do um, for all of us. Um, one study a couple years ago that was published um, of about 2,000 adults by Fisherman's Friends, it's a committee that uh, analyzed some data through Harvard University, um, I found that longest lasting friendship usually endure about like an average of 29 years. Um, but most friendships don't last that long, right? They last a couple of years and shift over time. And I think that makes sense. You know, people move, grow into, you know, different ways of um, being in their life and yeah. finding people they connect to um, more in terms of values and beliefs um, over time. But I think, you know, one of the things that you know that study also raised for me is this question is like okay why do some of us have these really long-term friendships and others don't right um what's the difference like what how do you get past that like whatever line of like okay most friendships end here how do you make it over that um what does it take in from both people to make that happen um you know we know that shifting values changing priorities moving, you know, experiences of certain betrayal, you know, career changes, marital status, um, 
social stat, all of those things can really test a relationship, a friendship, but some people get through all of that and still continue. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, like what you all think about that as well is like what, and I've been, you know, trying to look into the research to determine like, what are some of the really key differences? And there's not a lot of really solid research out there to really talk about it. So I don't really know that I have much to say in terms of like what it takes, but um, more just to maybe bring up the conversation and see what your thoughts are about this, like this idea of enduring friendships. And especially now in the age of like social media and like Facebook and like people can find connection through various different channels and have a lot of, I think, distractions that don't make them lean in so much to relationships and particularly like friendships that have maybe been there for a long time in their lives. Um, and more and more people are moving, right? Um, so what do you all think? Like enduring friendships, um, how do you make them work? <laughs> Great question. Woods, you have some really long-term friendships. How do you I make do. those I was just work? Thinking, I think you said like 29 years. Yeah. And I think that's uh, our, my closest group of friends from uh, my hometown. We've been friends for at least that long. And a few of us or several of us for longer than that at this point. Because um, several of us met in first grade. Wow. And we text on an almost daily basis. Anytime I go home we make sure to see each other or rather to give them credit. They do an incredible job of intentionally carving out time to spend with me. And I do think over that whole giant amount of time, most of us stayed close to home for a lot of that, right? Through all of our formative years. Um, I think three of us went to college in the same city, not far from home. Uh, and so... Of the five of us, I think three of us have been in very close proximity that whole time, just different combinations of us. And so I, I think what you're saying is true, Sasson, that it can probably, there's been times where there's been maybe more space between some of us based on sort of where our own individual sort of life path is. And also they are some of my biggest sources of support and I trust them entirely. And um, I think... I mean, we've never had sort of like big, large betrayals, I think was one thing that you had said, Sassin, so that I think there is a lot of trust between us. And now our life circumstances are similar in terms of um, having kids around the same age and comparing notes for the last 10 years about what that looks like. And um, it is a phenomenal experience I'm super grateful for. It's amazing. Um, I always <laughs> love hearing about uh, Sarah's lovely friendship group. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that's uh, like from first grade. That's just incredible. I, I think that those long enduring the 29 plus years, if I'm reading between the lines of Sarah's specific experience is uh, continued support and trust and mm -hmm. a lot of um, uh, understanding when people go yeah. through life stages at different timing and just having a non-judgmental stance and understanding yeah. and listening about what their experience is and being there and showing up and being present mm -hmm. um, for that in a bi-directional manner, right? Like when that non-judgmental stance yes. and showing up for someone is only a single direction, yep. it really is challenging to keep up that side of a friendship. Yeah. 
Um, that makes sense. I have had friendships like that from like really young and they just didn't last. And the test of uh, adulthood, because from my point of view, unfortunately, it just got kind of um, exhausting to kind of feel like it's always giving, 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 giving those relationships. So um, and I think I've talked on the podcast before, um, finding that balance of friendship where I'm not continuously giving mm-hmm. um, and it's more of a balance is something I'm still working on and it's not the people that I've chosen and it's not entirely me though it might be somewhat me um, but I think it's also a learning process um, from my point of view to figure out what works for a friendship what doesn't what does that balance look like for you and some people find it right off the bat find the right people it's like nice click and other people um, like myself, maybe it takes a little bit longer to find, quote, your people um, and how that fits. But that being said, I also think it's okay to, like, drift in and out of friendships. There's people that I have met and I knew in college and we were really close and then kind of moved and drifted apart. And then, but we still kind of stay connected and call every once in a while and check in. How are you doing? And I think those are long-term friendships, just not the daily um types of friendships that people experience. So I think mm-hmm. there are also like different ways of showing up for each other mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I'm so curious what sure. you think, Sesson. Yeah, no, sometimes I think people think of like long-term or enduring friendships. They think they're maintained through like very consistent interaction, like a daily or weekly. And that's not necessary. I, I, I imagine in a lot of cases, like it's not as frequent, especially as you get older and have other areas of your life that require some time and energy. Um, I have some, you know, 25 year kind of plus friendships that even longer than that, like we don't check in nearly as often as one might think is important to check in with friendships, right? Like, and it's, there's something about the care and connection that you've already established that sustains the relationship. It's like, you just have been through enough together where even with time and space, like you can come back to that and still feel the comfort um, and not fear of like, I've been gone too long, they've been gone too long. You know, it's just like knowing that friendship is there and trusting that. I think that there's a beautiful aspect to friendships in that way, whereas in relationships with romantic partners, you could never get away with that kind of distance and space and find connection still. So it's a really unique kind of relationship, I think, in many ways where you could disappear essentially for a while and come back and still feel really right. close to that person and have a lot of tenderness and care for that person. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. But I do think there's something for some of us, including myself, where I feel like I should be nurturing my friendships more than I do and not taking for granted the fact that they're always there, right? And feeling like um, things like having children at really different times in our lives and being in really different, like, um, you know, physical space, like it just feels like it's been more and more challenging. And you have to be really intentional on some level to really, I think, it's true. make it work. And also, like you said, some, I don't know who said it, but like, you know, over time you're gonna change and there has to be mm-hmm. an understanding of that and not holding each other accountable for being the person you were when you first met and knowing how to let that person evolve and adapt to who they are Mm -hmm. and not shaming them for that and you know checking that against your own current value and belief systems and but Mm -hmm. also recognizing they may be a little different but is it okay and can we still continue this i think 
um, it's really important just to be doing the work and making sure you're definitely taking the time to know who the person is now and understanding how that feels for you and what that means for the relationship and not being threatened by the fact that they are different now, right? I think that matters yeah, for sure. Lovely. Like, it's really important. And shout out to all of the researchers out there. I agree with what you said in the beginning. There's not a whole lot of research out there yeah. on friendships, especially adult friendships. There's a lot of adolescent friendship type research, but adult friendships, especially long-term, there's not a lot of research. So researchers out there, you know, this is cool. You can get on it. I love to read it. Hey, <laughs> we'll put you on the pod. <laughs> It is the start of a new year. Maybe that brings lots of excitement for you, or maybe you're already feeling worried about everything you need to get done in 2023. Sarah, gardening? Exactly. Today, we do an academic deep dive into research that explores whether a hug from your partner could protect you from the stress of what lies ahead. And a new research article titled Romantic Partner Embraces Reduces Cortisol Release After Acute Stress Induction in Women, but Not in Men, and uh, published in Plus One, uh, Drs. Gesa Barretz and her colleagues at Ruhr University, Bochum in Germany, explore the benefits of what research calls, quote, social touch. Prior research has found that physical contact with a person we care about, for example, holding their hand, can soften how the body responds to stress. In other words, a loved one's touch can protect our body from the usual physiological responses we have when we experience stress, including decreasing our body's release from adrenaline or cortisol, which can make the stress we're coping with even harder harder or by decreasing heart rate or blood pressure when we're feeling stress. It has been shown to even decrease pain. In the research we're discussing today, the authors specifically focus on hugging. Who doesn't love a good hug? They point out that earlier studies had found benefits from prolonged physical contact with a partner, such as holding hands for 10 minutes or talking about enjoyable memories followed by a quick hug. And all of these options seem to benefit couples. However, they were specifically interested in whether short hugs by themselves might increase relaxation and decrease our body's stress response. So fascinating. Anybody want to give me a hug today? Sarah, I already feel like I want to definitely fully embrace this study with a big, huge bear hug um, or a kitty cat hug. Meow. Um, can you fill in the details? I can't wait to hear about it. What is a kitty cat hug? I don't know. I, feel like I literally no... just made it up. You, you know, like sure. a big bear uh, hug or just like a... Sure, sure. Like a... Still like it. covered in fur, you know. I've involved a lot of visual movements there. I like it. Meow, meow. So this project uh, used uh, data from 76 partners from romantic couples, all straight. Uh, average age of the participant was about 22. So some context that this is straight couples... These are young couples, and they had some interesting exclusion criteria, uh, meaning that the participants had no history of mental or neurodevelopmental disorders, they were not smokers, they didn't use medication, and they had a BMI between 18 and a half and 27. Their explanation was because obesity is linked to increases in that stress responsivity that we experience. I think it's probably the other way around meaning that probably stress is linked to that responsivity and then therefore also obesity. 
not necessarily the reverse. Regardless, that's how they sort of, I think it's important to sort of characterize the sample first. These are healthy young people in romantic relationships. So it's also an experiment. So they did this experiment, um, what I think is really interesting, all in the afternoon. So they're controlling for that circadian rhythm effects and cortisol because when we wake up in the morning, how our cortisol level uh, occurs upon waking changes throughout the day. And that's also a measure of how our body responds to stress. So they did this all between 1 and 6 p.m. The couples came into the lab, completed some baseline questionnaires, did a cortisol measurement, which they always do through saliva and baseline blood pressure okay pretty sure patricia just licked her microphone as an example of how to i'm pretty sure that's how they give the cortisol no it's (laughs) actually like passive drooling isn't cortisol like passive drooling was not a phrase used in this paper um i was active drooling like you're just i'd like i with cortisol this might be alpha amylase but one of them you can't like Oh, do spit. The spit space. It has to. You. I just have to hold your mouth open and passively drool it out of your mouth. That is. I did not know that. I do not believe they <laughs> clarified that. They did say they didn't eat or drink anything yeah. for an hour beforehand. It might be alpha extremely detailed, and I love it. Um. So they uh, took these couples and separated them randomly into two groups. The first group was assigned to do a mutual embrace. So when the researcher left the room, they did a twenty-second hug. The second group is pretty long time. Race. 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Oh, well, that's an interesting take. <laughs> that's not the take that I had. And now it may affect our takeaways for this project. I mean, 20 seconds in the grand scope of your day is absolutely nothing. We just described passive drooling for several minutes. <laughs> it so, was maybe 15 so seconds. Maybe Um, The second group did not embrace. They provided support only through their physical presence in the room together. And then both groups went through a joint stress induction procedure, meaning they both did it at the same time, which is called the social evaluated cold presser test. So what they do is they have each partner place their hand with spread fingers in an ice cold water bath for a maximum of three minutes, at which time the procedures ended. However... They can remove their hand at any point if they can no longer endure it. Sure. They're filmed by a camera. They're told to maintain consistent, constant eye contact with, which honestly sounded like the hardest part of the whole thing, and asked not to talk. And if they spoke, they were reminded by the researcher, no talking. Blood pressure. (laughs) No talking. Look at the camera. Eye contact. We already instructed you. So the blood pressure is taken again at one minute, and then after that stress test is done, a second passive drooling sample. Well, it might not be passive, taken. but yes. We're not sure. <laughs> Active or passing. Uh, then they filled out a repeat questionnaire on their affect, and they rated the experience of that stress test. They did it again at 15 minutes after the stress procedure was completed, and then 25 minutes after. And what they found was that 25 minutes after that stress procedure was finished, women in that mutual embrace condition had significantly less cortisol than women in the control group. Wow. Yeah. So within that embracing group, women had less cortisol than embracing men at 15 and 25 minutes. But their main finding was between the huggers and the non-huggers, women had less cortisol 25 minutes after that stress test was done. The 
hugging did not affect blood pressure or affect or their ratings of the stress test. So just the cortisol for now. Like I obviously intend for these researchers to go on with this work. I'm sure they do too. Um, I do think it's really interesting that in this project, the embrace was scheduled before the stress induction procedure. So a lot of the sort of hand-holding research can be done while they're undergoing whatever yeah. stress test it is that they're going through, right? Like, I'm going to continue to hold my hand while my other hand is in the water. And I stare directly down the lens of this researcher's camera. Um, the gender difference here, I think they didn't expect either. It's novel. It's also a smaller sample. Uh, and so I think to take out of this that hugs only benefit women would be a mistake. Um, uh, it's also only straight couples, which we already said. Uh, and also that proximity to the stressor, meaning they did the hug and then they immediately do the stress test. It's also manufactured stress, but that timing is pretty immediate. Um, is all just sort of caveats, little limitations to all research has limitations, right. but sort of important caveats to sort of think about um, where this research could go and also what it means for what we can take away from it. And in general, right, that's a no-cost intervention. And that's, I mean, I think that's some of the academic deep dives we love to do on Attached is to think about what research exists on relationships out there in the world that we can easily apply into real-world relationships. Mm -hmm. the, the women experiencing that cortisol buffering effect of hugging their romantic partners, all it took was 20 seconds. <laughs> now, for some of us... <laughs> Maybe 20 seconds feels like a lifetime. Um, and I'm not here to say that 10 seconds wouldn't have benefited them just as much. But 20 seconds carved out of your day to hug a partner, especially if you know that partner is facing something stressful. Like if you're listening to this episode, obviously on the day it drops and tomorrow's Wednesday and you wake up and you're saying goodbye to your partner. If you built in a 20 second hug knowing they're facing something, they're up against something at work that's stressful. That's a really low effort intervention that potentially has a pretty nice yield. Um, and that's these researchers looking at the physiological benefits. If you did that on a daily basis, it's also possible you have some relationship benefits as well. True. Um, I think especially at a time where we have been over the last few years less physically close to other people a lot of the times. Showing your partner that you care through this intentional physical affection might be especially powerful. So a really very cool project. I really love this social touch literature. I think it's a very, very cool way to show the power of relationships. And this is a really cool new project to show exactly that. Man, I love that takeaway too. Like just the power of remembering or trying to remember um giving your partner a hug in the morning if you know whatever if your partner is uh male or female it doesn't matter just giving your partner a hug acknowledging uh that i'm sure both the social touch and the remembering and the acknowledgement of what your partner previously told you all of that will go in and certainly have long and maybe short-term benefits like demonstrated here intentional goodbyes and not uh, just like we want to yeah inten intentionally greet our partners yeah. when they come back into our day and not just like peace have a good day i mean peace you know that's sometimes right. that's a good or one. A, i would say occasionally i call my husband and say like did, did you leave already <laughs> <laughs> what i was saying about the 20 minutes is, you know you give someone a hug it's like give them a hug and you're like okay bye and you give them a hug and that's like 20 oh, seconds second. But a 20-second one is yeah. like, That's an embrace. That's an yeah, embrace. Yeah. It's not embrace, like a, right. a quick hug goodbye. It's like, I'm going to 
give you a hug and I'm going to hold you for a little bit just so you know. And then you let go. And like, it's a meaningful hug, right? I mean, I think a five second one could also be meaningful, you know? <laughs> one, well, but I agree. Two, I think there's a real three, difference. Four. Wow, you're That's counting it out hug. too. And it feels good too if it's your partner. You hear the counting in your ear. And just you whispering. What? can make it through this. <laughs> I would recommend against the out loud counting. But yeah. yes, definitely. Uh, I think 20 seconds for most is not the typical hug, right? Like I think to go out, uh, this is telling us we have to do more. We have to, or just have to go longer, right? Like, I think that matters. Like there's a difference between a hug and an embrace, I think for sure. Like one allows you to sort of settle into the other person mm-hmm, a little bit mm-hmm, physically mm-hmm. as well. Right? I love like that settle in. Oh, Yeah, your physiology, I believe changes when you're making like that physical, yeah. like, body to body connection and i don't think a hug does that in the exact like a quick hug does that in the yeah. same body to body i love it yeah i think like this also speaks to like you know how people often very often i saw this so much in the bachelor in paradise episodes this last round they kept talking about love languages in the show people love love languages people would you say is that people love love languages. People love it. And at the same time, I think people often identify when they sort of ascribe to the love languages thing, like I'm a physical person, like love physical touch is my love language. But this shows like, it's not just one kind of person right. who no. benefits from that physical touch, right? So I think- you I'm know. more of a gifts person. So every time my husband leaves the house, I just put my <laughs> hands out and I'm like, where's yeah. my farewell gift? Same. Gift to gift. Yeah, I'm more of an act of service. People, I'm like, oh, husband, why haven't you done all of the dishes and all of the house cleaning? This is how you show your love to me. Oh yeah, I'm a bit of it all. Just me. I'm a bit exactly. Took those takeaways and warped them all. (laughs) Academic way too deep dive. (laughs) Academic way too deep dive. Uh, New title of the episode. I mean segment. (laughs) Whatever. Woohoo! Boo! Uh, finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from our parents, our friends, and also our family. We see advice about how to be in relationships from all these movies and TV shows we watch all the time. Um, and we read endless advice spewed at us on all of the social media, blogs, and numerous top 10 lists. But this is going to be shocking for everybody in this new year. A lot of it just actually isn't good for our relationships. I know. This is the part of the show where we use science, mind you, to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at attachedpodcast or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, uh, in the World Wide Web world, uh, please consider to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your very, very favorite podcast app or even YouTube if you want to. And as always, share it with your loved ones. People love a good podcast recommendation. We also have a bonus good or bad advice for our Patreon subscribers. Um, if you want that sweet, sweet bonus content, please consider becoming a member and supporting um, our wee little podcast at patreon.com slash attached. So today is a quick fire uh, good or bad advice. Well, I'll play one um, and one person will 
give their thoughts and opinions. If the other person, of course, has a burning opinion, please provide it as well. Um, but uh, who wants to go first? Oh my gosh, don't everybody jump at once. All right, Woods, you'll go first. Um, this is a TikTok video yeah. from a gentleman. Um, I'm going to play it for you and read it at the same time. It's really just audio. 10 days of hitting the electric slide to battle seasonal depression. He's just dancing to some Beyonce. Trying to battle that. Seasonal depression. So Woods, what do you think? Good, bad advice, thoughts, feedback. Battling so seasonal I don't depression. I've ever seen anyone electric, electric slide by themselves. It's typically a, a group dance. That's uh, there was uh, just a gentleman with a relationship to his himself and his mood in that short video you just shared. There is, as Sesson shared earlier, volumes of evidence to support the effectiveness of movement and exercise and activity for improving mood. So I think. If the electric slide is your source of competitive exercise, <laughs> then you should go for it. It's great advice. Great advice. I also like the fact that he it seems like a, a preventative measure. So knowing that seasonal depression is going to hit you um, and um, maybe trying to preempt it with a little bit of exercise, a la the electric slide. Oh. The electric slide. Okay, Sasson, up next, Instagram, the Dashleys. Um, it is just an Instagram video of um, a wife walking upstairs and a husband downstairs. And the caption says, when you're saying goodbyes for the evening because you want to watch your shows and he wants to do things that you don't care about. Sesson, good or bad advice? Or your, <laughs> just opinions? Yeah, I was going to, I don't know about, I, I think it's, uh, reasonable to have different interests at the end of the night, especially I'm someone who really appreciates, um, downtime, my time. Right. And I think if you're doing it in different spaces, sometimes that's great. There should be moments you come back together, but <laughs> I think there's definitely nights where, you know, you and your partner may be like two ships passing in the night. <laughs> I'm over here, you're over here and yeah, I support it. <laughs> Yes. So a uh, positive doing separate things is good in couples. You know, sometimes there's a myth that like if we're doing different things or enjoy different activities, that somehow your relationship is not like peak relationshipness. But I think that that is a myth. I think that it's okay to do things um, separate, especially when you're talking about how you like to decompress in your brain to calm down at the end of the night. All right, Woods, here is a TikTok for you. Maybe if I can pull it up. The reason you feel guilty when you set your boundaries is pretty simple. If you're new here, I'm a former people pleaser and alcoholic, and I help people take their lives back. First, you have to understand that you're still trying to use other people to make you happy. See, people pleasing isn't much more than a habit of external validation or using the acceptance of others to get a dopamine response to make you feel safe. Until you stop using other people to make you feel good, setting boundaries is going to feel super uncomfortable because it creates a dip in your dopamine levels. No one's required to like it when you express your boundaries except for you, which means to get over guilt, you have to stop giving a shit about what everybody else thinks hope this helps 
Okay, we're talking about setting boundaries. We talk about that a lot on the podcast. And he's talking about the reason why we're setting boundaries and why you might have a hard time doing it is because of some guilt and you're not getting a dopamine hit. He said some other things. Sarah, what are your thoughts? I have never heard that take, I don't think. Um, So I think... Of course, uh, this is not news to anybody who has listened to this podcast before. I think there are lots of reasons that other people bring us happiness, and I think that's totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have never heard the frame that setting a boundary reduces our own sort of pleasure at connecting with others. I think it can be uncomfortable for lots of reasons. That just isn't one that I have heard before. I suppose in terms of your question about whether it's good or bad advice, it's sort of a questionable frame for me in how we think about relationships. Uh, And I'm not really sure that that's necessarily what happens when we set a boundary. Um, And also if that's a helpful sort of way to think about how it can be maybe a temporary discomfort Mm. so that it helps people to sort of try setting boundaries that's maybe not the worst frame i just am not sure that that's any of that is based in science is how i would answer that i I agree not familiar with the research but if thinking of it in that way helps you to set a boundary and thinking that the kind of the fleeting nature of emotions and like that uncomfortableness won't be there forever um, if that's helpful for you, go absolutely go for yeah. it. It's an interesting sort of unusual take. I'm not sure that's what's happening when we set boundaries and that boundaries become uncomfortable because we're no longer using people to make ourselves happy. So I think also it's perfectly fine for us to get, quote, dopamine hits from other people. We're supposed right. to do that. Like, yeah, it's healthy. Right. All right. Uh, next up for Sesson. Uh Here we go. Here's a number one reason why talk therapy is not effective for trauma. It does nothing to silence the alarm in your body that you're in danger. That was Maureen Clancy. Trauma. Thoughts? I don't. I sometimes feel like people put things out there to be provocative (laughs) instead of like why we have this section. Yeah. I imagine if this is a clinician speaking, they know that it's more than that. And it's, um, talk therapy is proven. It can be effective. And, you know, with folks who've experienced single event, complex trauma, like it's not based on science, what she said, but also there's something to what she's saying. I think there's a lot of really exciting research, you know, that shows more and more we're seeing how there's somatic right therapies, the things that you can do with the body, engaging the body that can address trauma. And so, you know, trauma is on some level, it's a subcortical response, right? Like, and I think we have to recognize that talk therapy and some of these other uh, therapies can be incredibly effective. You have brain spotting, you have EMDR, you have these other models that are also really helpful for trauma and and people who typically are using these models are doing both, you know, um, they're engaging in talk therapy as well, right? right? So 
in short, I think her statement is not totally accurate. There's more to it. But I do find that there's more and more exciting, you know, research and clinical work that demonstrates there's multiple ways to address trauma. And um, the science is really exciting around that. I agree. Woods, you're thinking really loudly. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a really problematic take that I don't know how many people that gets pushed out to, but Sassen is right. We have lots of science to support that psychotherapy is very effective. It was liked by f- over 14,000 people. That's cool. That's fantastic. We'll probably have 300 people listen to this episode. So right. don't go address your trauma. Just figure it out on your own. Just Therapy doesn't help. <laughs> right. It's wow. such a reckless thing to say as a clinician. I think yeah. like, oh. It was liked by 13,000. Guess how many viewed no. the video? No. 247,000. Well, maybe that shows from some people recognize like it doesn't. Yeah, they're that, not. Yeah, isn't accurate. Oh, oh good one. Good yeah, take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't like good it. Take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Woods to you. Erica Totten uh, at To Live Unchained on TikTok. Marriage is not the ultimate prevention of growing old alone. Community is. Mm. Good or bad advice? I like it. No, yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, I like it is not really a, a very um, intellectual take. Uh, I do think that uh, the position of marriage has potentially sort of changed a bit in terms of like longevity of marital relationships. I do think it is still heavily where a lot of people sort of prioritize their energy in terms of sort of making that relationship work and also um, it's not the end all be all we have specifically in our research looked at family more broadly speaking as one example of um, community family not necessarily just defined by uh, blood or legal ties but lots and lots of people in um, friendships and church communities and um, neighborhoods that are close and supportive and important. And I would agree that marriage is not necessarily the end all be all and science would suggest the same. Good advice. We're going to say, um, Sesson over to you at uh, Mario Zamora on TikTok. On the days you only have 40% and you give 40%, you gave 100%. Keep doing your best. On the days you only have 40% and you give 40%, you gave 100%. Keep doing your best. Thoughts? <laughs> well, the math adds up, but it doesn't <laughs> mean it makes sense to me. Um, I think on the days you have 40%, my instinct is to say, like, on the days you have 40%, don't give it all away. <laughs> yeah. To really take... Um, those moments where you're really feeling not at your best or, you know, not where you don't feel like you have full capacity or even close to that and just really try to preserve and not have to relinquish that. I don't know that you have to give everything away on a daily basis. You know? I like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice pairing to this. I, I like the sentiment that he's saying, like a hundred percent is whatever you have in the tank, you know, but I like the pairing of that is like, yes, but if you only have uh, a quarter of a tank of gas, don't drive 
15 miles and back. I don't know. You know what I mean? The metaphor. Yeah. I lost yeah. the metaphor. I'm sorry. I lost the thread. But, I was um, tracking. I was really tracking. The minute tracking. it moved to cars, which like, you I was yourself like, did. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Uh, and what's last one from Mr. Rogers. But you know, the toughest thing is to love somebody who has done something mean to you. Especially when that somebody has been yourself. Have you ever done anything mean to yourself? Well, it's very important to look inside yourself and find that loving part of you. That's the part that you must take good care of and never be mean to. Because that's the part of you that allows you to love your neighbor. And your neighbor is anyone you happen to be with at any time of your life. Respecting and loving your neighbor can give everybody a good feeling. Oh, guys. Quite a turn. Lovely. I know. Oh, so lovely. Um what a lovely lovely frame i mean i totally i there's not a thing i can say about that other than that is just fantastic great relationship advice i love it so much i'm really glad that a few generations had access to mr rogers you know i think that kind of messaging to plant those kinds of seeds into young people's minds it's really critical i definitely see um you know, why he was so beloved by so many. And right towards the end, there were aspects of it. I was like, oh, I don't know about all of that, but I really appreciated the general spirit of what he was saying, really. I agree. It's important to love yourself, take care of the part of you that is loving. I love that very Sweet. much. And we know the research from pro-social behavior, when you take care of other people, it helps you feel less lonely. It helps you feel more connected to other people. I mean, being kind to others in your community, even if you're not in close relationships with them, has those reciprocal benefits for ourselves as well. So just lovely. Absolutely lovely. As always, thank you for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get at us on those social medias um, about any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it.